Hello. We are back in our accelerated rotation of podcasts and live streams. I hope people are enjoying these. If you have a chance to tune in on YouTube, I was going to aim for 10 o'clock in the morning, but I wrote up a little uh, Aaron Rodgers replacement analysis. Decided to get that out early. Got to be topical. Got to be topical. I don't know if you hear my snaps over here, but I'm snapping to uh, emphasize how quickly. You got to be uh, on point and immediate here. Um, that's what the people want. I mean, the people want the Sunday night literally seconds after the final whistle analysis or Monday night seconds after the final whistle analysis, even if you don't have the data in front of you to really dig into. They want that much more so than they want the next day or the next two days or the next three days. Or when it comes to me and some of the charting data I'm getting from uh, my friends over at FTN, uh, next a couple days later, sort of analysis, even if it's a lot better analysis. And, you know, I can uh, I'll give it to you. You know, we want to we want to kind of like relive these emotions immediately. And I mean, hell, a couple days later, like I already forgot what happened anyway in a lot of these different games. Um, all right, so we're going to talk somewhat delayed, but again, I'm going to try to be around 10 a.m. ish between 10 and 11 on Mondays, Tuesdays, and Fridays is where we're going to do this. And I'm going to take questions. If you have questions, put Q&A in there. Uh, in fact, maybe I'll even put uh, I'll even put the old Q&A here. And then in the in the YouTube, if you're watching, put it on there. And, you know, send me some questions if you have anything, and I can get to them too. If you don't have a chance to tune in on this, if you have like a real job, uh, unlike most people, or <laughs> if you're not working at home, like like most people, and uh, perusing the internet uh, for for details about your team the entire time. All right, so we're gonna talk Monday Night Football a bit. You know, kind of like what actually happened in the game beyond Aaron Rodgers going down, and then we'll get into the Aaron Rodgers stuff and the Jets stuff and and everything else there. So I put out two pieces of analysis this morning, both of them pretty relevant. One of them, the advanced game reviews that I do for all these different games at unexpectedpoints.substack.com. And the key here, and one of the things that either enrages or enlightens fans in probably equal degrees, is the adjusted scores that I come out with here. So the adjusted scores are making adjustments for all of the high variance type of stuff that happens in these games is to say, you know, fundamentally, if we're going to replay this game a hundred times, what would we expect the average score to be in these games? Roughly. Um, with the assumption that, you know, turnovers are pretty fluky. Special teams stuff is very fluky. Um Third downs and fourth down conversions are pretty fluky. All that sort of stuff. Success rates are generally also more indicative of performance versus the actual EPA per play when you have these outlier plays that are happening. I mean, some teams can maintain outlier plays uh, offensively or or maintain giving them up defensively, but generally it's not the case. So doesn't you know? It's kind of squeezing everyone to a box. And again, it's like with all models. Uh, all models are incorrect, but some are useful. All models are wrong, but some are useful. So, of course, this is wrong, and you can nitpick anything here, but it's useful in how it, it helps uh, organize our information in a systematic way. So, we know the Jets won the game with a uh, overtime uh, punt return, but what else do we have internally in this game? Well, I have this game as actually the Bills being about five points better by the adjusted scores, 
And why is that? Well, they had an offensive success rate of 47%. So 40% of the 47% of their plays got positive EPA, which is pretty good. I mean, it's around 50th percentile ish, a bit better than 50th percentile jets only at 39%. So a bit lower. And so how did the jets end up winning this game? Well, it comes down to some of these more high variable types of things. So they had a 7.8 expected point advantage in turnovers. Now they had their own awful, fum, awful um, interception from Josh Allen, but I'm not from Josh Allen, from Zach Wilson. But Josh Allen had the three interceptions and the fumble that came into play there. Um, the Jets had a 1.1 EPA advantage on third and fourth down conversions, which is interesting. I mean, they got they got the fourth down, right, conversion at the end of the game, which ended up mattering, giving the Bills not enough time to score a touchdown at the end. But the Bills still got their field goal at the end, so it wasn't hugely beneficial in that sort of way. Um, but they got that. And then, they, you know, Zach Wilson, for as bad as he was, they actually converted a number of third downs, especially on that drive where they ended up having that unbelievably spectacular catch from Garrett Wilson, uh, catch of the year candidate already uh, for the entire season by Garrett Wilson in the end zone. So a little bit fluky, I think, the fact that they converted some of these third downs from from Wilson there. So they had a slight advantage there. And of course, they had the, the big advantage when it came to special teams and penalties uh, over a seven point advantage in that regard, mostly based upon the kick return touchdown that they ended up getting there. Um, to dig into the numbers here, Allen actually, Josh Allen, believe it or not, he ended up the game with about even EPA per play. So it wasn't bad, despite the fact that if you take his sacks, his interceptions, and his fumbles, 14.2 EPA lost on those, a pretty big number. Um, but it's only only I put in quotes the 11th worst performance that Allen's had in his career um, as far as the, the negative EPA is concerned where did he get it back well he actually did pretty well just straight up throwing the ball he gained back 12 EPA there and then he had a couple of EPA that he gained um, with his scrambling and with his rushes you know except for that, that fumble that fumble that we talked about there uh, positive 7.8 CPOE, so he was actually fairly accurate. 8.2 A dot, which is decent there. Um, so not maybe as bad of a game. I think we had this weird island game thing going on with Josh Allen last night, where everyone was, you know, pointing out, oh, how come? There's this weird thing where every single, maybe not the Chiefs fans with Patrick Mahomes because Mahomes has established himself as the clear number one quarterback. When it comes to Bengals fans in Burrow. Um, I would say, I would say Chargers fans at Herbert, but does Chargers Twitter exist? Plug me into Chargers Twitter if it exists. Cause I don't, I don't know if it does. Um, Cowboys fans and Dak Prescott, because everyone was making a, a thing about Zach, Dak Prescott last year in his interceptions. Uh, you know, th these top sort of quarterbacks who are competing for best quarterback in the NFL, maybe, J maybe Philly quarterbacks and, and Jalen, Jalen hurts. Uh, I don't know if he's really competing for top quarterback in the NFL. But anyway, you know, they, they just have to jump all over any evidence of like, oh, look, look at how bad this guy is. How come we don't talk about how badly this guy is? Chill out, people. Chill out. And it, it, it especially annoys me when media people are doing this sort of thing because um, I was talking in the in our little Twitter DM group with some other uh, NFL nerds out there about our annoyance when people are like arguing against fans. Okay, fans are irrational. Don't expect them to be rational. At least the ones that are like 
replying on Twitter. Okay, I'm sure there are plenty of rational fans out there who can, you know, consume their content and move on with their lives like a normal, uh, well-adjusted human being and don't feel the need to quote tweet or reply with negativity about everything <laughs> that's going on out there. We don't need to address these people. Let's just move on with their lives. Now, I will address media or other actual, you know, quote unquote professionals like coaches and GMs and others who are doing a poor job, in my opinion, uh, uh, with their profession. But we can ignore these fans for the most point. You know, I'll just wave them aside there. So, yeah, like who cares? Like or we can ignore like the Stephen A. Smiths and that sort of stuff, too. The um, those sorts of takes. We can just let those go. Um, I mean, they are literally trying to get you upset and then you're you're getting upset um but anyway so you know Allen was bad but let's not kill him here he was okay overall in here uh the Bills defense I felt like should have been a little bit more solid um especially on the ground now it was really a couple of long runs from Brees Hall that ended up being the huge gainers there um you know had over 100 yards on two different carries and they hit the 85th percentile in their run EPA per play the Jets hit that hit that mark, whereas the Bills couldn't run at all. So I think that was a huge differential. The Bills, they're running EPA per play, and I think this might include the Josh Allen fumble, so maybe I'm not putting this entirely on the, the rest of the Bills there. But anyway, their uh, EPA per play was around negative 0.4 points per play versus point, a positive 0.1 for the Jets. So we're talking about half a point differential per play on the Jets running the ball versus uh, versus the Bills. Whereas passing the ball, the Bills were slightly positive or dropping back to pass, slightly positive Jets, Jets negative there. So that's, a you know, again, that kind of gets subsumed in this analysis where we forget about the running game and how, while it's not a consistent sort of value add and it's opportunity cost wise, it's not great. Like it's going to happen. Both teams are going to run the ball X number of times per game. And if one team has a significant advantage doing so, it's like an extra piece of variance. We're almost building into the results um, outside of the certain teams where we can really count on them being great running the ball relative to others and, you know, poor running the ball relative to others. Uh, one other thing that I'll mention here for fourth down decisions, the... The Jets, I mentioned they went for that, you know, fourth and inches. It wasn't really or fourth and a foot or whatever it was with 250 remaining. It was kind of a toss up by the numbers. But then again, the numbers say it's one yard and built into that assumption of one yard. We're taking all the different conversions, historical conversions that have been classified as one yard. Now, some of those are one inch. Some of those are almost a yard and a half. This one was on the shorter side. So it probably was the right move to go for it for for the Jets. But again, it did not nailed down the fact that the bills were not going to get the ball back. They had the two minute warning. They had all their timeouts. So it didn't really solidify that. And it's pretty easy for a team to get into field goal range, as we saw last night, even with not that much time on the clock. Uh, but it did give the Jets an opportunity to play out the game. And they really turtled on that. Those last three plays. I mean, that was like embarrassing. I know it's Zach Wilson, but especially on second down, as they were pointing out, like just throw one up to um to Garrett Wilson all you need to do is like just convert that first down and then you're in such great position just throw it up near the sideline use the sideline like interception rates are very low near the sideline or lower near the sideline than they are over the middle of the field so just give Wilson uh Garrett Wilson a chance to make a play there but maybe if you have absolutely no faith in Zach Wilson that's what that's what ends up happening because getting that extra um play in that extra running play in and eliminating one timeout 
for the Bills was probably not going to be like the make or break sort of thing, whereas the conversion would have been the make or break sort of thing uh, for, for this game. And McDermott, you know, two different decisions in this one where it wasn't a huge. They were each a little bit over 1% win probability they could have gained by going for it. One of them I get. It was fourth and five on the Bills' own 32-yard line in the first quarter. So, yeah, that's one where maybe the model's a little too aggressive on the, the Bills' offense there versus the Jets. So I, I kind of get that one. But another one was a fourth and two on the 22-yard line in the first quarter that they kicked the field goal. And this is one of those ones where, you know, points in the first quarter count just as much as points at the end of the game. And if you're going to assume, oh, they got Zach Wilson in there, they can't win. Well, you know, I, we'll just take our three points. Yeah, I know that the, the Bills didn't score a ton of points. So if they didn't get those points, they would have been in a more dire uh, situation later on in the game. But still, I think you got to run it more closely to what the numbers are telling you on this one. Uh, if you are the Bills, even with Zach Wilson on the other side, because like we saw last night, you know, variance happens. You cannot assume that Wilson won't convert a few third downs they won't make a miraculous catch and they won't get you know a, a punt return touchdown so even though the bills deserve to win in this game they did make some decisions at least from mcdermott that i think um probably should have gone for that one but it's kind of in that dead zone too so so it's again that's why it's not an overwhelming sort of situation to go for it on fourth and two because you're in that dead zone where you're not that close to the end zone like it's not within the 10 yard line so you're definitely going to get a touchdown if you convert you still got 20 yards to go if you barely convert and but it is in the range where the field goal is a very very high probability field goal in that range it's not a 45 50 55 yard kick so for that reason, you know, maybe it's excusable, but I would have liked to have seen him go for it in that situation. Um, what else can we talk about here? Well, let's talk a little bit about like where these teams stand now after this. I mean, it wasn't a disaster for the Bills that many people are maybe in Buffalo going to see it as. I'm sure that'll be the narrative because you got to, you know, you, you got to sell some subscriptions to the athletic and uh, <laughs> other sorts of websites by by being disastrous. I remember, um, when was it? Was it two years ago? When was the super ridiculous weather game in Buffalo? Was that two years ago? God, my brain is completely fried. I apologize. I believe it was two years ago, right? No, it was last year. Crap. Was it last year? Anyway, after that game, man, the takes coming out of Buffalo were ridiculous about how uh, Belichick owned McDermott and, you know, was uh, in his head messing with him. And then, you know, the Bills went on to beat the Patriots in the regular season and then completely throttle them in the playoffs after that. So I'm sure people are overreacting in Buffalo, especially because if you look at their probabilities to win the AFC now, I mean, it's down. It's gone from about 17% going into the season. Their implied probability in betting markets down to 13-ish percent, but it's not impaled because... The two main competitors, like there's a tier above everyone else as far as competitors in the AFC, that was the Chiefs, the Bills, and the Bengals. They all took L's. And at least on paper going into this game, this wasn't an easy game for the Bills. Um, at least it wasn't as easy a game as the Chiefs had at home versus the Lions or maybe even the Bengals at yeah probably on, on paper right the Bengals before Rodgers went down the Bengals versus um versus the Browns 
So versus those two teams who they're primarily competing for here, um, doesn't really knock them down that much. Now, from the Jets' perspective, what are we looking at here? Well, the Jets were sixth in Super Bowl odds to start the season, not on the same tier as these other ones, right? Um, definitely not on the same tier as the the Bengals, the uh, Bills, and then the Chiefs being being number one. But you know, in, in the range of possibility. Now, after this, they've gone. Uh, let me pull up my numbers here. They've gone from being six to about middle of the pack. I think it's tied for sixteenth in Super Bowl odds. They're actually below the Green Bay Packers in Super Bowl odds. The Jets now. Dad, talk about sticking it to them. Uh, although the although the Packers aren't going to get their first round pick, so that that's something for next year. But talk about sticking it to them. You know, with that victory with the awful, you know, putridness of the NFC generally, the Packers are actually a little bit higher than the Jets right now in, in Super Bowl odds. Um, so the Jets are middle of the pack. So I think that's an important context when we're talking about replacing Rodgers, and that's what I'll focus on here, is that we're talking about incremental differences. We're talking about low probabilities to at least win the Super Bowl. I mean, I guess if you're the Jets, though, you should probably still want to make the playoffs with this defense the way they have it here. This was a top five-ish sort of defense last year. A bunch of turnovers last night, which were huge, but they can definitely play at that sort of level and be a top five sort of defense again this year. So you don't want to waste that. If you have even average quarterback play, you still should be able to sneak into the playoffs, I think. Um, with this victory over the Bills in week one in particular, uh, even in a stacked AFC. But the Dolphins look like they're no joke. So the AFC East is going to be is going to be very difficult here. Um, but how can we get an incremental boost at quarterback? So what I did was I did an analysis where I used my Bayesian updating. For those who don't know, it just looks at kind of a range of outcomes for quarterbacks. It looks like a normal distribution, kind of that hump that wide hump that we talk about. And what happens is you get evidence as a, as a quarterback plays their range that you're thinking they could be, it could be like their true talent level, their true efficiency level based upon where they were drafted and what we've seen in the past. Historically, that range starts to narrow further and further and moves up or down, depending upon how well they play. And the more sample you collect, the more narrow the range is. So it quantifies in a way what we all know. We know if a quarterback has played for, you know, five seasons and has 2,000 dropbacks, we know a lot more about that quarterback than someone who's played for one season and has 400 and 500 dropbacks. And this actually quantifies that. They say, okay, we can have a projection for both of those guys based upon it. But then the quarterback who has, you know, a lot fewer dropbacks is also going to have a wider range of outcomes. We should be less certain about those projections. So that's just what this actually quantifies in a systematic sort of way by using the historical range of franchise quarterbacks and then using the historical information we have on the standard deviation or the variance in a play-by-play basis by EPA. So you use those two factors and it d- decides how much to weight it. I think it's still overweights and it's still as overconfident as often is the case in a lot of different projections. Uh, big problem, I think, in modeling generally that when we send it out to the public, whether it's you know ESPN's FPI or uh, I've seen this Opta does these um, international soccer projections. Like for now, for instance, in the Premier League, for, for those who follow, probably 
people probably fast forwarding here. Um, Manchester City, they have something like a 95, 96% chance of being number one in the Premier League. And it's like, we, we just started like three weeks ago. Come on, guys. Um, I mean, sure, they're the overwhelming favorite, but they give like 0% chance to way too many potential outcomes. Um, and that's just a problem. Uh, we saw that in the draft, right? In the draft, ESPN had their model for where players were going to be drafted. And they were saying, you know, Will Levis only had a 0.1% chance of not going in the first round. It's like, no, he, <laughs> he had a much higher chance than that. I'm not going in the first round. Your projections were way too certain based upon looking at the mock drafts that were going on here. So I, I build in a little extra uncertainty to this model, just knowing that we, we can't capture just in historical data, the real uncertainty of, of life and moving forward and out of sample type of type of projections. So anyway, so I did this for a bunch of different quarterbacks. I'm, I'm concentrating primarily on free agents because if you're the Jets, not only have you given up all this trade compensation already for Rodgers, I mean, you had the pick swap in this last draft. You had the second round pick in this draft, this last draft. You have now a second round pick next year, which could have become a first round pick if Rodgers played 65% of the snaps. But I think we all know that's not happening here. Um, you have... 75 million of guaranteed money in this contract. And the way the NFL works is, and there's a, there's a pretty good chance. I think, I think that Rogers never plays another snap again in the NFL. I mean, he turns 40, like 40 year olds coming back from an Achilles tear and playing at a high level. I don't know how high that is. Um, but if he wants to pursue coming back and he doesn't want to, um, you know, fully just, if he wants to, like, if they want to come after him, for some of their money, they got 75 million in, in full guarantees on this contract. Uh, if he retires or is it's just, it's just kind of like him being released. It just accelerates all that cap charge into next season, which would be uh, massive. I mean, they probably June 1st him um, as far as how that's concerned. So it's spread it out over 2024 and 2025, but still it's going to be a big, big number because they have a small cap number on him for, for this season, the way they structured the contract. So, you're the Jets. You're you're not looking so hot from a perspective of young talent coming in because of the picks you gave up and cap that you're just going to have dead cap for Rodgers that you're just going to have going forward. So you can't, you know, be big spenders, I don't think. Um, you can't even give away like smaller picks, I think, to go and get a backup from someone else. This Jameis talk, this other talk. Uh, I mean, the Saints have them there. The Saints want to win the division. Uh, Derek Carr is, you know, he, he's been injured. I guess it's been a while. It's probably been since his, what was that? That 2015 season where he played really, no, 2016 season. I don't know what the hell it was, but he played really 2016 season. <laughs> I don't remember where he played pretty well. He actually got MVP votes where he got injured at the end of the season. I think he's been okay in durability other than that, but they're probably going to want to keep him there. Or if they do, you're going to overpay. For someone like Jameis um, and versus like the extra value that you're going to get from. So it's probably going to be a free agent. I would say Andy Dalton is the one guy I included in the analysis because the Panthers got him when they didn't know that Bryce Young was going to be the week one starter. They not really going to make a, you know, make noise in the playoffs. They only have about a 20% implied probability of making the playoffs less than that of making the playoffs. They're not really going to make a run in the playoffs. So they're in a better situation to say, hey, 
if Bryce gets injured and we have a floor outcome for our backup and we get a really high draft pick and Frank Reich's in his first year there, eh, we, we get a, we get a, we get a good pick next year. Not, not the worst possible outcome. So maybe they'll look to do something. They do have about 5 million in sunk costs that they've already put into Andy Dalton for a signing bonus. It's a two year, $11 million deal. There's only about 5 million left on it. So that's, that's pretty good for Andy Dalton, 5 million over, over two years. Um, that might be something that the Jets are in, interested in. Cause again, they're going to, they're probably, they might want to have like a multi-year sort of bridge solution there. Uh, 34 years old. So not, not super old for, for, for Dalton, but not young either. So I did put Dalton in this, but uh, going through the numbers, I also had Matt Ryan in there. I know, I know it's, it's okay. Jets fans, it's going to be painful, but you got to listen to this. Uh, Matt Ryan in there, Carson Wentz, Joe Flacco, you know, familiar with the system, uh, Colt McCoy, and then comparing them to Zach Wilson. So let me just say right now, Zach Wilson's projection, at least from a median standpoint, is the worst of any of these guys based upon what he's shown us in the NFL. I mean, it's not surprising. He's basically been, he was the worst quarterback in the NFL, I would say, as a rookie. He's close to that in his second year. He doesn't have a ton of reps, 600-something passing attempts, I think, but they've all been putrid. And he's also, we also have like an additional bit of bit of context to see that, you know, Mike White and Flacco have looked better in the same exact system than Zach Wilson has. But because they won this game, maybe they're going to keep him around for a while and not, you know, look to replace him as soon as humanly possible, which would be the right move. Uh, Colt McCoy is the next worst on it. I mean, maybe you could move bunch them up a bit, you know, cut on some slack for the fact of having to play on some bad Cardinals teams recently. But, uh, you know, I'm not thrilled about McCoy, although he was, you know, part of an offseason program and everything else. So he might be most ready to go in that sort of circumstance. But I don't I, I don't even think he's like a clear guy that you bring in and start in front of Zach Wilson, at least initially. I mean, I would, but I'm saying whether the Jets would do that. Uh, Dalton and Flacco are actually pretty similar in their projections based upon what they've put up over the last several years. Now, Flacco's a bit older. They've kind of already gone through the Flacco experience, so they probably wouldn't want him there. But, you know, maybe they like familiarity with the system uh, for Flacco. Carson Wentz is a bit better than them for their median projection. And he's also got a wider range of outcomes, which means more downside, but potentially more upside because he hasn't played that many snaps the last few years even though he's been a starter recently there. And I know no one likes Carson Wentz, but let me make the case for Carson Wentz. This is like a debate team sort of thing where you have to like uh, make the case for, for genocide <laughs> or something like that. You know, I got to make the case for actually I'm preparing Carson Wentz to genocide. I, I apologize, Carson. That's, that's a little rough. Um, make the case for, uh, I don't know, uh, honking your horn or something a lot or when you're driving. That's, that's, that's a little different than genocide. Um, but anyway, let, let me make the case for Carson Wentz here. So he has the second highest median projection versus Matt Ryan. And I think Matt Ryan is probably like overstated because of the age-related decline. I mean, we literally saw evidence, I think, of age-related decline. And while he was, you know, number one in efficiency in 2016 and top 10 status the next two years after that, um, if you look at 19, 20, 21, and 22, his EPA per play was 20th, 15th, 22nd, and then 28th last year. Not the greatest circumstances in Atlanta and uh, Indianapolis, but 
I don't know. That's rough. I mean, he is a professional, though. He's very professional. Gives a good interview. Probably great in the locker room. All that sort of stuff. So I don't know. There's there's some chance there. Uh, he'll he'll drop his TV gig and, and come back. But I wouldn't be thrilled about that. Not that I'd be thrilled about Carson Wentz either. But let me make the case for Wentz. So he's 30 years old. Carson Wentz turns 31 in December. No age related problems. I don't think he's not very durable. But whatever. You're you're going for you know, a high-end outcome here. Hopefully you're trying. So if it happens, it happens. Uh, I think the Colts 2021 blueprint is what you have for Carson Wentz. He didn't look great that season. He had some really putrid games that were nationally televised, like the monsoon game, I think, in San Francisco that season. But a lot of turnover-worthy plays that didn't end up turnovers. So I'll say that too. But if you look at what the actual results were that season for Carson Wentz, He's a little bit better than average when it comes to his EPA per play, when it comes to his adjusted net yards per attempt, when it comes to his QBR, slightly better than average. And I, he had a good offensive line and a great running game, but I don't think he had, you know, he didn't have world beaters on the outside. Um, better receivers he would have for the Jets. Maybe not as good of an offensive line, but better receivers uh, for the Jets. And how did he do it that year? Well, we, we think of him as being, you know, the sloppiest quarterback in the NFL, and he had a massive interception rate his last year in Philadelphia, but he hasn't been that bad outside of it. And that year in 2021, they ran the ball, they controlled things with Jonathan Taylor, he provided a lot of the explosive plays. I think you can mimic that with Brees Hall. Brees Hall is an explosive play runner. We saw it last night. He can bring that. They can continue to lean on the run like they did last night where they uh, ran at about 10% higher rate than you would have expected. Um. But Carson Wentz had a 1.4% interception rate in 2021. That was the fourth lowest in the NFL that season. He had a 5.8 sack rate, which was right in the middle, a little bit better than average that season. If you can do that, if you can build an offense where you say, Carson Wentz, stay in the bottom 10-ish sort of range when we combine interceptions and sacks, try to hold on to the ball. The fumbles I know are an issue, and you can't really you know, get that totally out of his game. But you don't have to be like a playmaker. He kind of had felt like he had to be a playmaker in Washington and same in, in Philly. That was his thing. He had that 27-17 season where he made all these unbelievable plays. You don't have to be a playmaker. Um, and we'll run the ball and we'll work it with Brees Hall and we'll use our defense. I don't know. I think it could work. Now, there are negatives from a you know soft, non-stats perspective in that Every single time anything happens with Carson Wentz, and they're going to be on national TV a bunch, right? Because everyone thought it was going to be Aaron Rodgers. That you can't flex them out of all these different national TV spots. People are going to go nuts when he does Carson Wentz stuff. And you're going to have to hear about it. And you're going to have to watch the film if you're the coaches. And you're going to have to watch it if you're, you know, Woody Johnson up with this Woody. You see Woody Johnson, the owner of the Jets with his Woody um, uh, iced out chain. I assume that's a, a Sauce Gardner thing. Um, maybe he'll get a, he'll get a Carson one, but <laughs> Carson, let's go. No, just kidding. He's like, no one's doing that. Um, and everyone seems to not like him as his teammates are concerned. I mean, I know he's, I don't think people dislike him for the reason, like a lot of people on social media dislike him because he's like clearly a, uh, a conservative, um, who likes to go hunt elk or whatever he does in his free time. Um, but his teammates don't seem to be too hot about him either. So, you know, there's some negatives here. But I wouldn't be totally against Wentz as the option. So if I were going to rank order, I would say 
Dalton, if you can get him for really cheap, second behind Wentz, and then maybe Matt Ryan, take him in, put him through some drills, see if he can still throw the ball. Um, but I wouldn't give up a lot for for Jameis or someone or someone else there. Um, one last thing I'll mention, and I think this is important for discussions about the turf because we're going to have a lot of turf. It's turf talk is going to be the talk of the the town right now. Is um, let me do some shilling for NFL owners here, as I as I as I've been known to do, according to football guys who want to who want to ham who want to hammer the nerds. So, like, I get the artificial turf, why they like the artificial turf. Why do they like the artificial turf? Well, they like it because it can take a it can take a pounding and keep going. And it's not just the NFL games we're talking about. They're hosting other events. Um, they're having, you know, like if you have a concert or something like that, you have people stomping all over the place in there. Um, so you can maximize the revenue that you're getting out of here. So, yeah, this is like a capitalist. Sorry, it's a capitalist argument here. Um for what they're doing there. And if you think about it, once, you know, these stadiums became a single use as far as sports are concerned, um, you know, you don't have the combined baseball and football stadiums like we used to have in the past. We're talking about eight games a season, you know, plus a preseason game or two, you know, plus maybe a playoff game or two. That's it. For a $4 billion stadium or whatever the hell these stadiums, $2 billion, $3 billion, $4 billion, whatever these stadiums cost. I mean, they pretty much have to use it for other stuff in order to make back some of that investment. And that's part of it. They want to be able to maximize that. Um, I've heard there were comparisons when they were talking about for soccer and the differences in soccer. Yeah, I mean, I get it. But, you know, a soccer stadium, if you think about one of these stadiums, like let's say in the Premier League, they're hosting twice as many league matches. They have all these different cup competitions. They have, you know, European football. Sometimes they have friendlies. They're probably hosting like three times the amount of games at these stadiums versus an NFL football team. And I think that makes a huge, huge difference. Um, for the economics there. So whatever, I get it. I think ideally you'd want these guys to come out of pocket a little bit more, but I, I also get why why they don't. And honestly, like the replaceability of these players is just a, it's just a factor. Now, quarterbacks, I agree. Quarterbacks, you know, they're not only is it like contract-wise an albatross now to have 75 million of guaranteed of Aaron Rodgers still on your books, um, but if it's a young quarterback and they really damage their career going forward, that can be massively negative. But for most guys, we're talking about a year or two of guarantees and then they're gone. So, you know, a lot of these soccer players they actually have bigger investments. Uh, the teams have bigger investments in them. And as far as guarantees and things like that, um, and there's just fewer of them. There's just way more NFL players. You got a 53 man roster where half of that turns over at least every uh, every season. So it's it's the harsh realities, I think, of what's going on there. Although I, I would, you know, I think it's better if they get more grass. I guess MetLife in particular, the stadium is like particularly bad, their turf there. So maybe that's something to investigate. But when the NFLPA did a study on it, um, let me bring it up here. I had it up a second ago. Grass versus turf. When the NFLPA did a study on it, just so we'll, we got to get the numbers right in context because it's going to be talked about today as if um 
as if it's like a guarantee. Now, the NFLPA did do a study. It says about a 28% greater chance of having an injury on artificial turf. Um, Yeah. I think that, I mean, that's significant. But of course, we're, we're talking about lower, low baselines, right? And I think the number was point one more injuries per 100 plays you could expect. So it's about 100 plays in a game. So 0.1 injuries per game per team. Take that over 17 games is 1.7. Well, actually, it'll be about eight games because there's, there's HTM as a home game. But let's say they played every game on turf somehow. Be 1.8 more injuries a year. So let, let's just keep that in mind. And when we're raising like a 28% higher number, that sounds like a high number. But again, we're talking about off a fairly low baseline. There's not like the, of an individual player getting injured is a pretty low baseline. It's like when they talk about, you know, your chances of cancer uh, are tripled if you do something. Well, you know, your chances are very low to, st to start off with. So that can, when we talk about percentage increases or X times bigger, just always keep that in mind. I would just say as like a statistical sort of thing to keep in mind. Um, it's significant. It matters. They should look at doing more natural grass, but keep that in mind when we talk about like what you're raising off of when you're talking about the base rates for these different things. Um, okay. So if you've got any questions here, if you've got any Q and a, throw it in here, I'll answer a couple of things that have come up here. Um, incoming trade for Kyler. No, I don't think they can afford them. Honestly. I mean, whatever. There's always cap shenanigans, so maybe you're right. Maybe there could be something there. But they're not going to have their second-round pick next year. Again, they got this $75 million guaranteed for Rodgers. Maybe Rodgers will just, like, figure out how to forgive that or something because he did a, this nonsensical move to give the Jets a better deal uh, going, going through there. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think unlikely, I would say. But anything's anything's possible. I guess Woody Johnson is like if he feels like he wants to see a championship before he dies, um, and they're not really in position to draft somebody. It could be it could be a chance. Um, Evan here, a little comment. I'll, uh, it could just be the turf is more predictable. Look at what happened the Super Bowl with Sod. Yeah, I mean that that's that could be part of it. But I've heard that it's very much the case where you can like host a bunch of different events there, and you don't. It's not as much maintenance work and things like that. So. Um, Conehead here. When RG3 got injured on turf, everyone, I assume it's whined and moaned about real grass. Yeah, that is that's interesting. Now, yeah, FedEx Field. Is it still called FedEx Field? I know what the hell it's called now. Um, yeah, it was like had the awful turf, had the awful grass, which caused that injury. So yeah, we'll probably go back and forth on this one here. Uh, what another question here? What would be the most you would trade for replacement? quarterback if you were the Jets a third round pick I mean I wouldn't even trade that I mean who are we talking about here I guess is, is the question that's it's all contingent upon that if we're talking about a backup somewhere else no way I would not trade a third round pick um I would probably not even trade a fourth round pick for a backup somewhere else if we're talking about Andy Dalton maybe is that who we're talking about we're we talking about like who else are we talking about that it could possibly be Sam Darnold <laughs> can't bring back Sam Darnold. That would be hilarious, though, if they didn't bring back Sam Darnold. I have to say, but I think they kind of like him in, in San Francisco. But that would be that would be fucking hilarious. Okay, so um, trade for Fields. I like <laughs> I like that the Bears draft Caleb Williams. Um, yeah, I like that one. Um, actually, I probably don't like that for the Jets that much, honestly. 
Fields, you, this is the part, okay, I, I don't want to be too negative on Fields, but, you know, I made the case for drafting someone last year, this last draft for the Bears, number one overall. Uh, unfortunately, if Fields face plants this year for the Bears, and uh, so far, not so good. Like, he needs a 60-yard scramble every week to be really effective. Uh, his trade value is going to plummet. I don't know what his trade value was. I think his trade value was lower than people think this last offseason, but we'll see. Uh, yes, there's a lot of stadium fields getting replaced temporarily with grass for the World Cup. Yeah, I did see that. I mean, I think it's a playability factor there, too, though, when we talk about with the World Cup. You can't play on artificial turf. It's, it's ridiculous. Um, they do play, though. MLS has some games on turf. In Seattle, they use um, – what the hell is Seattle Stadium called? Luminate Field? And I know it's not – that's not right, but it starts with a loom, loom something field. They play artificial turf there. They play an artificial turf in some other places. They play in the Georgia Dome. Is it the Georgia Dome? Mercedes-Benz Stadium, whatever the hell you call it, Atlanta. They play on turf there. But the ball is just so much faster on artificial turf versus on grass. The feel of it is so much different where I don't think there's that big of a contrast in the feel of the game when we talk about um, turf versus grass for the NFL. And that's what makes it a little bit, a little bit better. Uh, what about Matthew Stafford? I don't know. The, the, the Rams kind of want to win. I think Stafford seems like he's playing pretty well. And again, it the contract becomes an issue. Let's look at Stafford's contract. Even if you get the um, huge sunk cost, because Rams gave him a, a pretty sweet-ass deal, I have to say. Man, the bonus is big. Um, what was the bonus on this one? $120 million of guarantees, $63 million at signing, $60 million bonus. So first of all, the Rams have to be eating that a lot of that $60 million bonus. I mean, they, they've done it before with Gurley and others, but not on this sort of scale. Um, so do they even have the cap room? to trade at Stafford, maybe next off season, they could figure it out. And again, I think it would be like a next off season sort of move. The Rams are one and oh, no one trades the player when you're one and oh, um, not your starting quarterback when you have a uh, playoff chances. And let's face it outside of the, the 49ers, not a whole lot going on in that division right now. Uh, next year. So Stafford has a base salary of $31 million, then 27 and 26 after that. Um, he also has a roster bonus of $5 million apiece in 2025 and 2026. So we're talking about $30-plus million. I don't know. They're going to they gonna be able to afford that after just mortgaging everything on Rodgers. Of course you can. You always can do these things if you're NFL teams. But I think that becomes at least a little bit. Lumen field, thank you. I think at least it becomes a little bit of a difficulty. What about a third for Stafford? I mean, I don't even think that the draft pick compensation is as big of a deal. Yeah, sure. A third is fine. I think for Stafford, like in a vacuum, but again, I don't know what the, I'd have to like deep dive as far as what the cap situation would be this season. It would be okay because Stafford's only on a $1.5 million base salary this year. Um, his prorated bonus goes away. So he's basically free this year. Maybe they could figure out some real like interesting stuff. But again, I just don't think the Rams and Sean McVay and everyone is going to give the thumbs up on doing that deal. I think, you know, reasonably, they think, hey, if things if things go well and Stafford plays well on the offensive line in particular, which can be high variance, how you project that going forward. If that plays well, um, you can make the playoffs this year. Who knows? I saw some reporters bringing up Bortles being whatever it is. Three years is too long. Yeah, three years is too long. Bortles has been uh, <laughs> sitting around ripping cigarettes and uh, and doing whatever uh, for for the last who knows how long. And he wasn't good anyway. 
it, like there's no reason to think that he's better than Carson Wentz. I, I don't think. I don't think. Do you think so? Um, I mean, it'll be funny, I think. But no, I think I think Bortles is not really an option, in my opinion. No offense. To, I always say the ripping cigarettes thing because Bortles himself, he has a famous little clip where he's being interviewed. Um, I don't know what it's for. He's been interviewed by this woman. Um, and, and she says to him, like, you know, what do you do when you wake up in the morning? He's like, uh, usually just, you know, get up and take a piss. <laughs> That's kind of how he responds. And then she's like, what would you be doing if you weren't playing in the NFL? And he's like, I don't know. Um, probably working construction, ripping cigs. <laughs> That's what he says is part of his thing. So funny guy, but, um, but I don't think that's really an option. Jay Cutler. Yeah, that's, that's not a, it's too far out of the game. But again, comedic value off the charts, off the charts. Whatever happened to Jay Cutler? Jay Cutler would probably fit in pretty nicely with Aaron Rodgers in terms of like QAnon affiliation. I feel like they both might be on that one. Um, what if the Rams and Jets agree to trade Stafford for only one year and then he goes back to, to the Rams? I don't think that's legal. Number one, to have made that sort of deal. And uh, number two, it's it's an interesting one. Uh, Jay Cutler is the anti Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, probably in play style, maybe. But uh, again, uh, yeah, Tom Brady. I I can't see it. I really cannot see it. It'd just be kind of sad from Tom Brady's perspective. I feel like, um, I mean, his 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 whole like face is starting to is starting to go a little Joan Rivers down the Joan Rivers path, and I just don't want to see him fall apart he's like he's gonna be like one of those, those like like nancy pelosi types where it's like you look at their face and you're like oh they're not that old and then they move and it's like Arr! and then you realize because of all the work that's been done that they're a lot lot older than you think they are brady's starting to get to to that to that uh that that point in a couple of other in a couple of other years but again comedic value entertainment value off the charts but i think wentz can provide a lot of that comedic entertainment value also so i'm going to stick with with carson wentz all right that's enough for uh just messing around here with the q a but i appreciate everyone trey for jordan love yeah i'd like to see that that, that would be a good one that'd be a good one too but again packers better odds than the than the uh than the jets right now to win the super bowl anyway thanks everyone for tuning in i gotta get out of here before i start answering some more uh silly questions here Tannehill. okay i'll answer Tannehill because it showed up here mm, i don't know maybe maybe again the Tannehill. like let's look up let's look up his contract here because he ain't cheap this season but i'm i want to see how much of it is discounted so 17 million dollar base salary yeah you can they could probably they could probably hack it for this season. Oh no no sorry I'm looking at uh, I'm looking back at 2020. 27 million dollar base salary. Ah. And then he's on voids the next couple of years so that doesn't matter from the Jets perspective. So 27 million. Can you hack 27 million, you know, minus week 1 uh pay that's already been paid out on there. I don't know. You'd have to restructure it. It could be done. I wouldn't be totally against it. But again, like how many teams are just willing to punt on the entire season? I think Frank Reich, he's a new head coach. They could punt on this season. They have Bryce Young, right? They can they can punt on having that backup sort of option. But a lot of teams are definitely afraid of doing anything to punt on the season right now if you're a GM or if you're a coach because you're going to get canned. Like I know Vrabel is the man there. And... um his name escapes me now from San Francisco. Uh, Rand Carthon 
is is new so it's like there's there's some possibility like i don't think that they'll get um that they'll get canned i know they have like theoretically willis and uh will levis there but it's a little too early i mean i, I think if the if the titans open up zero and four but then if they open up zero and four that means Tannehill's stunk this whole year and maybe the jets won't want him i don't know then maybe we're talking about a possibility i just think it's too early at this point uh to do it uh all right anyway thanks so, so much everybody i'll be back thursday no not thursday friday morning to talk about Thursday night football, uh, talk about what's going to go on the weekends, talk about whatever else has happened this week. I may pop in here for an emergency uh, pod discussion, whatever. If we get some, you know, Jets news or other trade news or anything else pops off this week. Otherwise, go to unexpectedpoints.substack.com. Free article today on Aaron Rodgers' replacement and projecting those guys. Plus, you know, chip me a, a couple of bucks and you're going to get some good content. You know, probably, I don't know four or five different articles a week, including adjusted quarterback efficiency, power rankings, all that sort of stuff each and every week. Thank you so much for tuning in and I'll be talking at everyone in a few days.